<laughs> what did he say? I missed that. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, uh, growing up, and I know not all of you grew up in the church, but um, oftentimes as a, as a kid, you feel like you're you're not an important part of the, car, of the, of the worship part uh, service. And so this is just a way of uh, including them and making sure that they know that, we're, we, that they matter as part of our worshiping family. So that's part of why we do this. If you have the scriptures with you, um, and if not, I'll have them on the um, uh, screens behind me, but open to Hebrews chapter 11. If you're just joining us for the first time, we've been looking sequentially at the different characters um, from the Old Testament that are represented in, in Hebrews chapter 11, and um, this morning we're looking at Moses. Um, before we uh, talk about the word, though, if, if I could just tell you, this last week, some of you know this, maybe your Facebook friend, or you just know this because uh, you have a kid who's a high school student, but I spent the last uh, four days, Tuesday through Friday, um, up backpacking with with. Tony Tiemann and Matt Parr and, and Sean Arvin, who's our um, missionary to China, who's here on, on leave, and some high school students uh, on the annual um, High Life Backpack Trip. And um, it had a great, awesome time just spending time with students and with Tony and, and the guys. And uh, I, I learned something, though, because I've done this a, a lot over the years um, with the High Life group. I, I, I've learned this time in particular that I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And, um, and I'm still feeling a little sore from, from that. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a good time just trying to connect to some of our students. Uh, it was rich. It was beautiful. And one of the best things, my cell phone didn't work. It was awesome. I didn't hear the news. I didn't hear anything. Um, so it, I should say also this message was, was formed largely um, next to an alpine lake in the Sierras, which is my favorite place. If I was to do you know, preparation for messages, it would be up in the, up in the forest. That's where I live. That's what makes my heart beat. Uh, so this might have a little bit of a pine scent to it, okay, <laughs> this particular message. Uh, so I come back into cell range on Friday, and my phone explodes. I got to somehow, you know, uh, deactivate all these push notifications that I get from, from the news. But it sounds like uh, you guys had a bad week. Um, not you guys in particular, but just a lot of bad stuff has happened. And um, I know Veronica has made um, mention of that. Um, just all kinds of bad news um, hitting us all at once, like another week? Like you just almost sense, isn't there going to be some kind of a reprieve? That was Friday. It all just comes like just tunneling into, into my existence. That made me want to run back up in the mountains and stay by that, that, by that alpine lake. But, uh, and then I got a call on Friday night from a um, sheriff deputy. And he told me, he says, listen, I, I just want to warn you that there is a police officer in your neighborhood who has been threatened by name. And I was like, what? Like, this is my neighborhood, right? And I don't know if you know this, but um, even right now, um, a number of police officers have been shot, just came through a few minutes ago. Uh, here we are. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's no wonder that um, people feel pessimistic, you know, um, fearful, wondering what's going to happen, um, maybe a bit panic-stricken, uh, and not just for big things that are going on uh, globally and in our own nation, our own neighborhoods, but, but even in terms of just small things. So some of you I know may have this uh, next-door neighbor app where people are able to share things or warn people in your neighborhood. Um, it's, a, it's a great app um, that connects neighbors together, but it can also be a forum in which to complain, right? <laughs> At least uh, that's how it 
comes across sometimes. And one of the people in my particular neighborhood uh, complained about fireworks going off. Now listen, you may not like fireworks, but I can think of a whole heck of a lot more dangerous things that happen than fireworks. And so someone complained, and, and someone in response to that complaint wrote this. Just listen. Hopefully this isn't anybody here. <laughs> Regarding the complaint about fireworks going off. That's what happens when we live in a neighborhood where there are tons of rentals and teenagers slash young adults not being properly raised and taught right from wrong. Move to Danville if you want to feel safe. Actually, be safe uh, and not hear fireworks. This is interesting. It's like, you, you, you want to be safe? Move out of the town. Move out of the city. Move to Danville. What happens when it happens to Danville? Where do you move then? This is an interesting question. And I know probably some Christians feel that way. It's like, listen, if things aren't good, move away. Move to Danville. Bug out of the United States and go to New Zealand. Leave the city. Leave your neighborhood. Now, to be fair, there are times in which God, and I think wisdom would dictate that you leave a really bad situation. But if all the good people, and by good people I mean believers, who are called to be light, abandon places that are deteriorating, who's left? Who's left? You know, after World War II, a lot of Christians abandoned the urban centers, places like Chicago. And in the absence of Christian light, those cities became dark. What, what happens when... When Christians abandon places that have darkness in them, that are places that are broken, well, that means there's no more light. I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer last, last week, and I'm going to mention him a number of times because I, I'm, my plan is to do a biographical sketch on him in the fall, and I want to pique your interest. But, you know, as a, a pastor, German theologian um, during World War II, and was his, his, his homeland is Germany, he had a difficult choice to make. He was here in the United States, and, uh, and he was doing theological studies in the safe environment of American protection. He had a choice to make. Do I stay here and be safe in the United States, or do I go back into the dragon's lair to effect change? Well, he didn't stay here. He didn't stay in the safe place. He actually ventured back to his homeland to effect change, and he did effect change at the expense of his own life. Interesting question for us Christians in a, in a time in which things seem to be unraveling. And, and we have darkness in our neighborhoods and in our, in our city and in our country. How are we supposed to live? You know, Are we supposed to abandon this place? Or, or do we say, no, I'm here. And I'm here called to be light that shines in darkness so that people actually have hope. And to be an instrument of transformation in, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my street, in my city. That is, that is the question. And the question is, what does it look like? What does it look like to, to be, um, we could phrase this a number of ways, an agent of change? What does it mean to be um, a person who brings uh, a leavening transformation? And I, I, what does it look like? And that's where um, the example of Moses, I think, comes in and, and teaches us some important lessons on how to live out your faith in the midst of a hostile world. Um, Moses is an example of that. And um, 
But before I read the text of excuse me, Hebrews 11, I, I, I want to look at how he lived out his faith in his hostile environment. But I also want to look at how God worked through his faith in action to multiply change. Okay, So I don't want to just look at how his faith worked. I want to also look at how God worked through that act of faith to like bring change. Because if it's true in his life, then God brings change as we believe and act. His grace is, um, is, uh, is at work in, in our faith. So here's the text. By faith, Moses... When he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Acts, the book that um, Tom just read, interprets that beautiful as beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, God had favor upon Moses, not just that he was a pretty baby. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, uh, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Notice there's four by faith statements in the text that I just read each of them introducing a different expression of how his faith, how our faith, can show itself in the world in which we live. And just to set context, historical, obviously Moses lived at a time in which um, Egypt was no longer a hospitable place. It once was... um, Friendly and embracing and welcoming to the Jewish people. But by the time he was born, it had turned into a place of death. Uh, it, It wasn't a good neighborhood. It wasn't a good place to live. And yet, in this context of hostility, of death, of persecution, we see his his faith shine in four distinct ways, um, which should um, be um, a challenge to us. The first way, the first by faith statement, um, has to do with um, obedience. And let me put it this way, and I put it in the present tense for our sake. The faith that makes a difference, one, expresses itself in loyalty to God above all earthly powers. Tactically speaking, this is his parents' faith. Moses was born, he didn't have faith at this point, so it's his parents' faith, but the text ties it to Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict, of Pharaoh's edict. Most of you know the story. Uh, Jewish people were blessed by God. As a result, they were multiplying at an exponential rate. And uh, that, 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 that multiplication became a threat to the powers that be, a threat to um, control, rule, government. And so Pharaoh, um, in a place of uh, maximum earthly authority, he makes an edict that basically is going to wipe out all of the firstborn, excuse me, all of the male children of the Jewish people. This is what you might call the final solution way, way back when. 
This is a Jewish uh, population control. And here, Moses' parents refuse to comply, and rather, they trust the Lord and they hide their boy. That is, they violate a direct command from the highest office of the land. But notice, they don't do it in an unwise manner. Um, you know how we Americans are when we, we don't like something. We tend to get all up in somebody's face. I'm not going to give you my kid, Pharaoh. You can take your little edict and you know where you can shove it. Or pick up a sign that says, and do a demonstration that says, God hates Pharaoh. That's not, how they, that's not how they respond. They actually respond with wisdom and grace. They, they hide their, they simply hide their boy. It's an act of faith. Hide their boy. Three months, when they realize they can't keep him anymore, they take him, they put him in, in a basket that has made, been made waterproof, and they put it in the reeds next to a place where the daughter of Pharaoh happens to bathe. It's pretty wise if you think about it. Dangle a pretty baby boy in front of a woman who has sympathy, compassion, and motherly instincts. Pharaoh would kill the boy, daughter of Pharaoh. Oh, look, she adopts him. That's what you call wisdom, right? But I want you to notice that the parents of, of, of Moses, they trust the Lord. They show that their loyalties ultimately are to, to Yahweh, the king who is on high, uh, who, who per, pervades and rules over Egypt and could, uh, with a squish of the thumb, send Pharaoh to hell. That's who they trust. That's where their loyalties lie. And that is how they express their faith. And that uh, church is how, how we're supposed to express our faith, is, is that when there is conflict between earthly powers and the divine word, that is God's voice, then our faith is to express itself in loyalty to God. That is we obey God, not the voice of men when those are in conflict, but to do so with wisdom and grace. And church, the day is coming when you and I will have a choice to make. And you know that day's coming in which we will have to choose to whom do my loyalties lie? Who ultimately am I going to entrust my life or if need be my death? The Lord or the Oval Office? The Lord or our government? And when those come in conflict, one of the come in conflict with each other, I pray we express our faith in the simple fact that our loyalties and our trust belong to the Lord. And that we will stand in the ranks of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we will look in the face of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and I'm speaking figuratively, and say we will not bow down. Or we will join the ranks of Corey Ten Boom, who said, despite what the Germans, German edicts were, I am going to hide Jewish people in my house at the expense of my own family. I hope in, ahead of time that you have, as an act of faith, decided ahead of time, I serve ultimately one voice, and as voice of the Lord. I trust ultimately in one person, and that is the Lord, not in princes, not in kings, not in presidents or parties. Amen? We ought to think about that ahead of time. But, but, but pan back for a second and think about how God used this simple act of faith. They trusted the Lord, their loyalties were to the Lord, and they hid their boy. When they could have, out of fear, panic, surrendered their boy 
and Moses never would have gone on to live. How did God multiply that act of faith? Well, we have Moses. I mean, as a result of what they did, that simple act of trusting the Lord, um, Moses was given the best education on planet Earth at the time. may have been pagan, but he was educated. And I, I believe God used that providentially to prepare him to be one of the greatest writers of the Old Testament, a writer of the first five books, arguably the greatest author, certainly the most revered from a Jewish perspective, and also the deliverer of God's people. You see how a simple act of faith on parents, um, God multiplied it and, and changed things as a result of a simple act of faith working itself out. God works, multiplies his work as God's people simply trust and obey. That, that should be encouragement for it. Just God's working. God will multiply. We may not know what it looks like or how it's going to result, but God is at work when his people choose to trust him and step out in faith. That's lesson number one. How a faith expresses itself is our loyalty to God. And when we do, we send a message that there's someone else that we serve. We, 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 we show people that there's someone higher than Pharaoh that we, that we love. The second lesson, the second by faith, is that faith that makes a difference renounces the world, that is, renounces claims to this world, um, and identifies with God and his people of promise. That's that's what Moses does, and and it's an act of faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, now it's First point was when he was born. Second point, when he's grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather, this is what he chose instead, rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Here he's identifying with God's people, the Jewish people, um, than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was part of two families, Right? It's part of Pharaoh's family, part of the royal family. Therefore, he had access to to Egypt's wealth. He had access to all the pleasures, sinful and otherwise, that he wanted. And access to the pagan religions of Egypt. Everything Egypt had to dish up, he he could eat from that ice cream bowl if he wanted to. But he was part of another family too. By birth, a Jew. A Hebrew which was an enslaved people, a people who were suffering and oppressed. Two families he was a part of. And he rejected, right? He refused to be identified as the son of Pharaoh or the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Refused that identification and rather chose, if you will, to strip himself of his princeliness and to become a slave and identify and walk with and be with his people. To leave behind the pleasures of sin and identify with God and his people and the promises that God made to that people. That something better is coming than this big ice cream bowl that Egypt dishes up. And which am I going to eat? The fleeting pleasures of what comes and then goes? Or am I going to trust that though this people that God has promised amazing promises to are suffering right now, the best is yet to come for them, and God has a big if you will, ice cream dish at the end of time that is better than anything that Egypt has to offer. And to identify with God's people, the people of promise, and say, the best is yet to come, and I'm identifying with God's people, and I'm identifying with God's promises, and this is where I live. 
He is, in effect, renouncing um, worldly things, saying there's something more important. That's one of the ways in which faith expresses itself, is when you know, people see that the big ice cream dish that everybody's drinking out of right now, everybody wants a piece of it. It doesn't really matter to us because we have something better. They know that, that that's when what we really hope for shines out. And there should be, by the way, a, a kind of a, um, a realization that Moses laying aside his position as prince to become a slave and identify with and for his people. That's, that, that's strikingly familiar, right? It should be because Moses is, a, is kind of a shadow of the great one to come, right? You look at Moses' life and the great one to come, who is Jesus, and Moses was a sinner like you and I. He was self-conscious. At times, he had confidence issues. Um, At times, he had self-control issues. At least on one occasion, he lost his temper. He seemed to lack wisdom in certain, certain realms of administration and organization, so he was a sinner, and he was weak like us. And yet, his life um, is remarkably like that of Jesus. Both Moses and both Jesus were um, the targets of infanticide. That is, kings trying to wipe out kids to avoid the threat. Both Moses and Jesus um, would lead people in deliverance. Both Moses and Jesus would be mediators of covenants. Um, And both Moses and Jesus gave up their glory for the sake of suffering for the people. Sounds like Philippians 2 to me. That... Jesus, though he existed in the form of Almighty God, the Prince of Heaven, um, didn't regard equality with God something to be grabbed at, but instead he humbled himself in obedience, loving obedience to his Father. He became a man. He became a slave to the point of offering himself on a cross. That's, that's Christ-likeness. Moses was a Christ-like person, even ahead of time, Right? And I think that's probably what he has in mind when he says that he considered the reproach of Christ that is um, in his suffering for the sake of his people. He considered um, the present pleasures of Egypt not worth being compared to what would come. That too is a, is a bit of a challenge. Just for those of us, which, 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 which ice cream dish are you eating out of? Are you hoping for the one that God has promised? It's like, listen, the day is coming in which... Um, what you long for so much, a perfect family, it's coming, but it's not now. The day is coming in which that marriage that you long for, but it's not here, is going to come. And it's going to be between you and it's going to become Christ, between Christ. The day that you're looking for in which health is forever and it's wonderful and there are no more sore muscles or broken backs, it's coming, but it's not now. Is that what we're longing for? Or are we trying like the rest of the world, like the Egyptians did, to just devour everything this world has to offer and its sinful and non-sinful pleasures because this is it. Because that's, that's, that, that's the question. And when the world sees us, hey, this is, I'm willing to suffer with and for the sake of God's people, identify with them, identify with the promises, the best is yet to come, then we make, it makes a difference. People see that something's different about us. Something's massively different about us. And I want you just to note something here that I think is important for our, our time is 
how communal faith is. It says, by faith, and then in verse 25, it says, part of his faith was choosing to be mistreated with the people of God. And I think you could also say, be mistreated for the people of God. That is, his faith was demonstrated in how he identified with and served the people of God. Faith was and has always been a communal thing, especially as it relates to expressing itself in love. Um, love is a product, is a fruit of, of faith. When we really believe, well, then love comes and we, we start learning what it means to love in forgiveness and love in perseverance and love in, in care and all of those parts of what love is. And you can't experience that stuff unless you're in community, unless you're part of a, a body of believers where you can exercise that faith. And this is going to be a, a bit strange here what I'm about to say, but if you happen to be one of those people who write, maybe not now, but later this week, are listening to this online. Um, that is, you podcast these sermons, but you don't participate in any church body. I'm probably going to make someone come comfortable who's this week going to listen to the podcast. Um, you need to understand that your faith was meant to be communal. You can't learn to love. You can't learn to sacrifice. You can't learn to identify with God's people if all you are is a podcast Christian. So I would encourage you, again, I'm speaking to people online, <laughs> I would encourage you, whatever church it is, to become a part of, a vital part of, of a people, because our faith and love is, at its heart, communal. End of side note there. Back to you. By the way, how did, how did God bless this? Again, this is an act of faith, of renouncing. Well... As a result of this act of faith that he was believing, what did God do? Well, he, he, he brought Pharaoh to his knees. He humbled an entire, the most powerful nation at the time. At the same time, we, uh, because of this faith, God showed his love for his people. He delivered his people. All of that because he simply walked in faith and acted in faith in the midst of a hostile environment. Third way that his faith expresses itself, and faith expresses itself in the context of hostility. The faith that makes a difference uh, perseveres against all opposition. That's the third by faith statement. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's faith in the invisible God who he knew was with them and and would be there for them and protect them and so forth. By faith, he persevered against the anger. He had a, uh, Moses had a difficult uh, uh, job calling, right? He had the anger of Pharaoh who was pursuing him behind him and outside. And then he had, he had a whole bunch of whiny complainers and grumblers within his own people who were constantly threatened to, to pull a coup, right? Problems outside, problems inside, and yet he continued to persevere in faith and continued to follow through in God's calling on his life, trusting that God would be there for him, trusting in the God who is invisible, trusting that God would make a way, trusting that God would open the seas when it was time. That's, he, he endured in his faith. And that is another unique aspect um, of, of faith that in a culture of quitters, uh, we need to hear. Where there's faith, there will be Perseverance, there will be endurance. You'll continue to do what God's called you to do. 
My, my great-grandfather owned a gold mine called the Defender Mine. And he dug and dug and dug and dug. Sweat, blood, lost one of his own sons in that well or in that, in that, in that mine. What, 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 what motivates a person at expense of life, sweat, and tears to keep digging? Belief. Belief that gold's down there. As long as there's belief, there's perseverance. If there's no belief, then people quit. Same is true in marriage. Another example. When two parties are bound together and they believe God's going to work this out and God's going to bring us together in ways that we can't fully fathom yet and our, 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 our love for each other is going to grow and grow rich and we're going to learn what it means to forgive and learn what it means to forget. And you believe that? Well, then you persevere. The moment you think, well, there's no hope, that's the first moment where it all is lost. Where there's belief, there's endurance. And that's one of the ways, I think, we as Christians in our time can express our faith. Unless God calls, I ain't going anywhere. (laughs) Unless God moves me, I'm sticking with it. That's John Hansen quote, right? It's like, you never quit unless you're called. You don't leave until you're called away. You don't just say, well, I'm done with that because I'm tired. Well, you know what? I'm sure Moses was tired. I'm sure you're tired. And that's when you're like, all right, I want to keep taking one step after another because I believe, I believe God is at work. And as I continue to endure in faith, I know God's going to multiply this, you know? Um, young Christian, I had in my mind these daydreams of momentary events in which my faith is like seen. Someone pulls a gun to your head and says, you better reject Jesus, and you're like, no, and blows your head off, and you become a martyr, like, well, that's faith. I want to be one of those people. Not really, but, you know. That's like a flash-in-the-pan faith. And sometimes when you're a person like Jim Elliott, it happens, right? He dies in the wilderness and trying to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians. But most of God's greatest achievements are accomplished by people just enduring in acts of faith day by day, week after week, month after month, mostly mundane things. And just trusting and persevering in that trust. Even if nobody notices God does, and as you continue to take those steps of faith, enduring, you got to know that God is going to multiply that in ways that you can't fully understand. Moses persevered. As a result, how did God do? What did God, how did God multiply? Well, let's see. The people of, of Israel were, he brought down nations before them. He, uh, he uh, through his faith, he, uh, he preserved God's people for 40 years in the desert, and um, through his perseverance, this persevering faith, he brings them safely to the borderland of the promised land. It's just simple, enduring faith, doing what God's called you to do, trusting that God is working, and look what happens. And the same happens for you. It may never end up in the Bible, and it won't, but you'll make a difference. You'll make a difference in your neighborhood, your family, your marriage, and par- uh, Fairfield, Vacaville, wherever you live. It's just, you know, my lo- loyalty is, is ultimately to God. That's how I express my faith. Um, I'm expressing my faith in a renouncing of that this world only, ultimately has nothing to offer me that I don't get later. And um, I'm going to persevere in my belief that God is working. That's, that's how we're supposed to live um, in the context of a 
an increasingly hostile world. But there's one final by faith statement that leads us directly to the ultimate change factor. Is ultimately faith that makes a difference embraces the efficiency, the sufficiency of the Passover lamb. That's my favorite part. Should be yours too. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You know the story? God says, listen, I'm sending my destroyer. That's an angel of death. And he is going to destroy all the firstborn in all of the land of Egypt. And your only protection, your only protection is to take a lamb and slaughter it and take the blood and put it all over the doorpost of the house. That's it. That's your only protection. That's a whole lot of trust in blood, right? The only thing between the Jewish people and the destroyer was a layer of blood, period. There were no concrete walls. There were no Star Trek, you know, shields. Shields, it's 100% captain. None of that. No shield of works, nothing. The only protection for the Jewish people was to trust that the blood was strong enough to protect them from the wrath of God. Blood was it. That was their only hope. Which means if they took and they painted their doorposts with blood, they trusted that the blood was sufficient enough to protect them when everyone else was dying. That brings us right into the main point of Passover, right? In which Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took a cup that in one sense looked back to this event and and reoriented the whole thing and said, listen, this is my blood um, of the covenant, the new relationship, which is poured out for many. In other words, I am the Passover lamb. And the only thing that will protect you and me in the coming day of wrath will not be concrete. It will not be a shield. It will simply be this, the blood of Christ, period. It's not going to be how well you lived. It's going to be, did you trust that the blood of Christ was sufficient to save you? And not only sufficient to save you from the wrath to come, but sufficient to save you in the loving and eternal embrace of our Father. That he loves us by way of the blood. He sings over us by way of the blood. We are his and he is ours by way of the blood and the blood alone. That was, that, and that's ultimately, if you want to know how to change the world, and you may never see it with your eyes, but if, you're, if you trust the Lord, I believe he will multiply that faith But if you want to know how ultimately to see the world change, it comes down to this. To truly embrace and believe. To love, to live, and to declare that Christ is more than enough for you. And when that is your heart, and that is your life, and those are your words, well then the gospel of the kingdom goes forth. And the gospel of the kingdom is powerful. So, Here we are, 21st century. The news is going to continue to be bad, probably. I hope we get some good news. But how is it that we're supposed to live? 
day in, day out? How, how are we to be an instrument of change on our streets, in our city? Well, at a very simple level, it's believe. But in your belief, express your ultimate loyalty to God, not government, not your party, but to God. Relinquish each day. The world is not what I live for. I identify with God as people and the people of Christ. Um, express your faith by enduring. Sticking with it. And ultimately express your faith by confidence in the blood of Christ that brings us home. And as we do, I just, I believe, based upon how I see God work in Scripture, God is going to multiply and change things. He just simply calls us to trust and follow. Trust and follow. He does the rest. That's, that's the good news. And I close with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. As I said, he chose to go back to the lair of the dungeon, or the dragon. He chose to go back into Nazi Germany at the expense of his own life. But you know what? That act of faith that he had simply to go back, he wasn't in charge of his death, he was in charge of going back. That was the step of faith. As a result of that step of faith and the amplification of that faith through his death, um, millions of people's lives have been changed. And I'm one of them because a man stepped out in faith. So my charge to all of us in here at Parkway is, listen, it comes down to simply really trusting the Lord and following through on that in these four ways that Moses demonstrates to us. That's how to live in an increasingly hostile and dark world. Now it's our turn to live it out. Amen? Grant your people in this time, O God, faith, not fear. May you grant them joy, not despair. Grant them courage, not cowardice. Grant them faith, not doubt. Fill us, surround us, and set our eyes on Christ. The beginning, the middle, and the end of our salvation. And it's in his name we pray.